You're listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel, and we want to welcome you to a special bonus episode. We had the pleasure of having a good friend of mine join us for an album discussion through the jukebox, Jaffo, Jeff Jaffo Shetler. We'll give his full name here for full disclosure. We had him on for a discussion of Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. And for that episode, he sent us some beer from Brew Lab in Carpinteria, California, and we didn't get to all of it. One of the reasons was because he sent us a giant can that had to be shared and Abigail and I were in two different locations and then he miscounted. He did that and he sent us only one (laughs) of the German Pilsners, but we've saved them for a bonus leftover episode. So much like our Black Friday episode last week, we have a couple of leftover beers. But then on top of that, he was kind enough to send us some fresh home brews. So we have three beers to review, just like the original episode, two from Brew Lab, one from what would he call the brewery last time, Jaffa? I don't think we had named it. I told you you guys could name it. Okay, well, we didn't name it. It's the unnamed brewery, but this time with notes. So <laughs> after the last episode- <laughs> I'm very we, excited for the notes. We have all kinds of notes on the beers that Jaffa brewed for us. And on top of that, we found some Pink Floyd leftovers that we're going to talk about as far as the musical selections for the evening. Jaffa, thank you so much for jumping on. Always. Good to see you again, Jaffa. Good to see you, Abigail, even though I can't really see you. I got a picture of you, but... What? Oh, is my camera not on? I don't know. I see you on my computer. I only see you in the Pops and Hops logo behind your dad there. We've got all kinds of technical stuff going on because Abigail and I are in the same space recording, but also on Zoom across the table from each other and then recording on a, a better device. We've got all kinds of action. All right, sir. I'm thirsty, so I am cracking open the first selection that you sent us back when we did the original episode, and this is called Uncertainty Reigns, which is a German-style Pilsner from Brew Lab. And Abigail, there's no notes on the can. Should we pull up some notes on the untapped? Absolutely. I'll say I was in Brew Lab a week ago. And I did not see any of this anywhere. None none being sold in the refrigerator. Oh, wow. Which goes along with what I had said when we talked about Brew Lab last time. It's a small batch. It's not as small batch as it used to be, but it's still small batch. And every time I go in there, there's a changeover. And things that I like, and things that I love, sometimes disappear or never to be seen again. Well, I've been sitting on this for a while, so I hope that's not... You know, sometimes also at small batch breweries, the beer's so fresh that holding it for a while gets to be a problem. Not usually an issue, but hopefully we didn't wait too long on this. I don't see any notes on here that suggest we shouldn't have, so. I don't think so. I think we'll be okay. And generally in cans, I do okay. I did find some notes on Untapped for Uncertainty Reigns. The notes are sparse, but they say, German-style Pilsner. All right. <laughs> so that's what we're having. We're working with a German style Pilsner coming off the Oktoberfest season. Cheers, Dad. Prost. Prost. Eins, zwei, drei, zufa. Mm. It's a pretty perfect Pilsner. Yeah. That is exactly what I would think of if somebody said you're going to have a German style Pilsner. Absolutely. Anybody getting any little citrus, little lemony citrus kind of character to it? Yeah, I'm getting a little hoppiness that I would expect that from a German style Pilsner, but not from an American Pilsner. Yeah, for sure. And I think that might be where you're getting those citrusy flavors from is from the hops. Oh, for sure. It's not like it's been added as a adjunct. No. It would be coming from the hops. Yeah. And it's a lot up front. But it dissipates really quick. It yes, does. It's all up front. That's really tasty. Now, Jaffa, I am a little bit worried because Abigail and I are sharing everything. <laughs> I just realized you poured a whole can of that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we're going to be lapping you relatively quickly, I'm afraid. Wait till we get into the peanut butter uh, stout, which is a 22-ounce bottle. I know. We get to split that, and you have to deal with that all on your own. <laughs> I wish you would have picked the Belgian or the Russian Imperial Stout, because I haven't tried those yet. We'd be trying them for the first time together. But we can do the peanut butter if you want. No, we just we just looked at the list and thought, what do we want to try? We'll try anything. Uh, clearly, we've not had any of them. And so if there's one you haven't tried, we'll definitely do that. I don't have any. Yeah. We, the, we just picked one out just for the sake of picking one out. But we'll do whatever you The green you think top is best. or the red top? The green top or the red top. Abigail, do you have a preference on the green versus the red? A Belgian quad, an imperial stout. Belgian quad. Okay. So we'll go with the green cap. I'll have to run out to the garage when we get to that one. That way. You'll be drinking it at the same time as we are for the first time. Is that the point of that? I, it will. And I, I won't say the thought that just came into my mind because Abigail already said the Belgian quad, which I've been looking forward to try anyway. Well, and if it's really lousy, we have other options. No. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> And it might be. I've I, I brewed plenty of lousy stuff. Listen, what I remember from the last thing was that everything that you sent me was really good. I was notably impressed by that. I talked to David at, at Brew Lab. He's one of the four that I had mentioned when we did uh, Wish You Were Here. I had talked with Peter. and Peter's the guy I know best in there, but I've, I've talked with David before. And he got he gave me a lot of notes on some things. But when we get to my beer, I'll talk a little bit about what he was telling me about brewing. And, oh, neat. And if it's bad, why it might be bad. <laughs> so he gave you notes <laughs> after the fact, not prior to these beers that you brewed. He, you talked to him after these were done. Yeah, yeah. No, this is last week. The Belgian quad and the Imperial Stout have been sitting in secondary in my garage for six months. Oh, wow. I just put them into secondary when we talked last. Ah. That's great. And I've never done a beer that takes that long in secondary. Usually it's two weeks to a month. Yeah, so with that investment in time, you're hoping it's great, right? Because if, with all the time you spend oh. on it, if it's off- Well, you hope I, everything's great. Well, you hope everything's great, yeah. And if it's off, I just drink it later in the night after I've had a few of something that fits. <laughs> Nothing goes to waste. It's a very good strategy. At Jaffa Brewing <laughs> or whatever. We, we haven't named it yet. So what do you want to cover first musically, Abigail? Well, I think we should cover Hey, Hey, Rise Up because we touched on it in the okay. Wish You Were Here episode, but we didn't discuss the song. No, we just pretty much said it happened, right? We yeah. didn't play a clip or anything. So Here's the background on that. Back when we recorded Wish You Were Here or Wish There Were Beer is what we called our episode. Yes, that's it was right. our review of Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd, which was in May. Pink Floyd had recently released a single featuring vocals from a Ukrainian vocalist from the Ukrainian band Boombox. And that vocalist's name is Andrei Hlevnyuk. Thank you. Uh, how to pronounce.com. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, Abigail. Andrei Hlevnyuk. <laughs> <laughs> and. My understanding of how the song was produced was they lifted this guy's vocals from a viral Instagram video that he posted of him singing a Ukrainian patriotic march written in 1914, the title of which translates to Oh, the Red Viburnum in the Meadow. And we will post in our show notes the story and the origin of the song. But I am going to play for you now the original viral video of Andre singing the song. Oh, <laughs> 
Червону калину підіймемо, а ми нашу славну Україну розвеселимо. So that was posted on February 27th of this year. The vocals were lifted from that video and Pink Floyd played music behind the vocals. And the single, I believe, was released sometime in early May, if I recall correctly. Maybe April. April 8th. April 8th. I love the single. I think it's fascinating that they were able to lift this guy's vocals from a video where he was he was singing a cappella on a cell phone recording. He sounds fantastic. And the music that Pink Floyd chose to put behind it is stunning. So we're going to play the entirety of that song for you, Jaffo, and then dad will cut it to some clip that's appropriate to avoid copyright <laughs> the song is called hey hey rise up featuring andrei hlevnyuk of boombox I think this is fabulous. On so many levels, I don't even know how to start. First of all, you can hear how they structured the song because they had a very limited clip of the guy singing. Right. So that's fabulous. It's so Pink Floyd. I mean, the guitar stuff is so on point. And the story of how they recorded it, which is also interesting, and they only recorded it about a week or 10 days before they released it. In late March, they got together and recorded it. And it was David Gilmore and Nick Mason. It was the bass player who'd been with them since the 80s, Guy Pratt. And then they had a member, Richard Wright, who died, but his daughter even showed up for the recording to make it a complete Pink Floyd project. And I think all of that's great. The other thing I read that was really interesting was the song itself, like you said, Abigail, was written in the context of the First World War, Mm -hmm. was kind of a quote-unquote national anthem of sorts in Ukraine. And after the Russian invasion of Crimea... In 2014, they outlawed singing any national anthems, including this song. Oh, wow. So it is a true protest song, which is interesting because this guy standing in the street, like we saw him, and singing that song, that's really a true act of protest. It's just fascinating. I, I love the whole story. So I 
really enjoy this song. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think it's brilliant the way they structured it with that long kind of jam in the middle because like you said, they had very little vocal content to work with and I like that they started and ended the song with the vocals. I think it's better to do that than to put them all at the beginning and then have a long jam to finish it off or have a long jam and then play the vocals at the end. I also really like how they started off with a slowed down version of the vocals. It's kind of a spooky, haunting intro and then it ends with some sort of echoey reverb effect that's very haunting so I just think the song is gorgeous and to your point about it's very Pink Floyd I can say that now I agree it's very Pink Floyd <laughs> she's been schooled in the Jaffa school of Pink Floyd she knows what we're talking now, about now we gotta, we gotta get you into some Rolling Stones because I heard you didn't know any Rolling Stones songs Good, I'm working on that not I'm many well that. I know some songs I just have never listened to a Rolling Stones album when I was listening to that I don't know if you've seen but I immediately I, I know it's a side, but I immediately put Beggar's Banquet into Beggar's the- Beggar's uh, Banquet is in the queue jukebox. for the jukebox. Yes, sir, Uh-oh. it is. And there might be one Uh-oh. other one. There might be one other Stones album. I have to go look at the jukebox. There might be one other Stones album in there. And actually, when I think about it, I'm not sure it wasn't you that submitted it in your first wave. Did I? I have to go back and look real quick. But there is, I believe, another Rolling Stone. And it's all the same era, Jaffo. It's all the early 70s, you know. Oh, that that really was the Stones' best time. That was their best time frame, you know. It's like, say, seven to 75 and that went maybe 76 about tattoo use where it starts to turn i think well yeah it gets into the they get into a little more disco and but we digress as we do i love that we digress as we, we digress. do <laughs> pops on hops we digress that's what we do the other thing i want to say about the way this was structured it reminded me a little bit of in a weird way when the beatles did the anthology series they had two tracks that yoko had given them that they went back jeff lynn helped produce it and they wrote interstitial material and sang background vocals, backup vocals to these two tracks. One was Real Love and the other one was Free as a Bird. And it's structured very similarly because they only had these limited pieces of music that Yoko had given them. So you could see the same kind of structure. I would go where John comes in and does his thing and then they do an instrumental where they sing the other interstitial vocals and then they come back to John's vocal because they're trying to use a very short piece of music and stretch it out but get it to a song length, a real kind of fleshed out song. Just an observation. Isn't it always better if you have less music from Yoko? Yes, I don't think, but Yoko... Oh, so you're a Yoko hater. (laughs) I'm not a Yoko hater. And after watching Get Back, I think everybody owes Yoko an apology. She did not. I totally agree. But she was not a singer. (laughs) I saw an entire Yoko modern art exhibit at the Guggenheim Museum in Bilbao, Spain in 2014. And it was fascinating. It was very modern art. So if you're not into modern art, it was probably not your thing. But it was it was really interesting. Man, there's a lot in that sentence. You saw a Yoko Ono modern art exhibit at the Guggenheim, Guggenheim Museum in Bilbao, in Spain. Bilbao Spain. <laughs> wow. I should be so lucky. Well, what we do, right, is we raise them to live the lives we'd like to have, right, Jaffa? Exactly, yes. Oh, you could go to Bilbao, Spain anytime you wanted, Dad. Come on now. I could, but I'm busy. I'm busy that weekend. All right. Shall we rate this Pilsner? And then we're going to, Jaffa, you you doing okay? I know you got twice the volume. I never even got in on the conversation for the the last song. (laughs) You're right. Abigail got a word in edgewise this time. She did. I, I was, I was. Finally. Oh, my word. I know I can interrupt. I'm trying hard to to curb that. Why start now? 
<laughs> Nobody will believe it's actually me on the podcast. That's right. right. If you behave yourself, it won't be top five. There is that. Uh, I do love this song. I think it's great. I I haven't seen anything about the sales from the song. I don't know if they donated the profits from the sales. They did. They did. Nice. Ukraine Humanitarian Fund was the charitable organization that they chose. All the proceeds from the single went to that organization. That's wonderful. And I, I saw it debuted at 49 which means a considerable amount of money, I think. When That's amazing. That's gone to that fund, which, which is great. Uh, the question is, is it actually Pink Floyd? Uh-oh. Are we calling, are we saying that the lineup of people who perform, are we going to call that Pink Floyd? Is that what you mean? Yeah, I mean, you really have Nick Mason and David Gilmour. And I'll listen to David Gilmour guitar forever. He's definitely in my top five guitar player, which makes sense because we're number five on Pops and Hots, right? That's right. <laughs> you and David Gilmour together again. <laughs> and and you know i've always called a uh, momentary lapse of reason and division bell i've always called them pink floyd I believe they were pink floyd even though uh, Ro- uh roger waters wasn't there but how many members from what you consider pink floyd can you lose before it's no longer pink floyd for sure <laughs> and if you go back and you listen to a lot of david gilmore albums as i have it's very David Gilmore guitar heavy, and which is great. I love it with Nick Mason driving the beat and just following David Gilmore very much uh, there on his on the drums, and it's amazing. But is it Pink Floyd? It was released under the name Pink Floyd. I guess that's. Are we talking about it in legal terms? Right. We we were having a conversation about the Platters, for example, mm-hmm. with my dad. That. Um, there's a similar kind of thing, right? Sure. What does it mean to be the Platters? And, and, and there's touring bands right now called the Platters where nobody's left. I saw a Little River Band, I don't know, I'm going to say eight years ago here in Parkland, and there was one guy left from Little River Band. Yeah. If you look at the lineup from the 70s, it's almost like if you remove one part at a time and replace it, <laughs> if you remove all five parts, are you really left with the original or not? And the answer is probably not. But I would make a strong case that it's not what you would consider classic Pink Floyd the minute Roger Waters leaves. But if the remaining members had the legal right to be Pink Floyd, I mean, it's a technicality, I think, to get to call themselves Pink Floyd. And I I think in the end, David Gilmore, if I remember right, David Gilmore owns that. And um, Roger Waters, because there was a long drawn out lawsuit that they went through. And, and in the end, he got money for it. I don't know if he still gets proceeds when they use, you know, the Pink Floyd name. But I don't know what that settlement is. And it certainly gets royalties on the things that he wrote, regardless of. Sure. Because the publishing is different from the band and the touring anyway. Right. So that's another big complicated area. But I think when you put, you know, the guy who was the bass player from the 80s into the mix with this and the other guy's daughters there. I think most of us want to believe that it's the spirit of Pink Floyd and really what they're singing about is the spirit of Pink Floyd, too. So I'm going to vote that. Yes. Are we voting? Is this a voting situation? <laughs> Do we have to, I'm going to go with a, I think it, I would call this a Pink Floyd song. I would, too. Even more than the legal technicalities or, you know, the personnel, it just has the spirit of Pink Floyd, I think. I do, too. Now, would we have the same discussion if it was Paul McCartney? Ringo Starr, Donnie Harrison, and Julian Lennon. Would we call that the Beatles? 
Probably not, right? If they branded themselves as the Beatles, why not, right? Paul Ringo owned the name, the rights to the name the Beatles, right? It's John Lennon's son and it's uh, George Harrison's son. It's about as close as you can get, right? But are we all going to accept that as the Beatles? It would actually be closer than what we're getting with this song on Pink Floyd. Exactly. Right? That was That's where so, I was going with that, right? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's an interesting quandary because... As a purist, I can see where Joffo is coming from was where I was going with this because he's a Pink Floyd fan the way I'm a Beatles fan. And I would say, no, I don't think that's the Beatles. I think we call ourselves something else that draws on that name, but maybe not call ourselves the Beatles. And I don't think they would do that. So I find it interesting to Joffo's point about using the name Pink Floyd when it's mm-hmm. two guys from the original band. Abigail, I expect you to go deep into Floyd now. Did you watch The Wall? Well, now we're going to have a conversation about that right after we okay. rate this okay. beer. Yes. <laughs> and open another one. Did we decide if it was Pink Floyd or not? Here's the thing, Jaffo. <laughs> we have accidentally stumbled upon a very well-known philosophical question called the Ship of Theseus, and I don't think we're going to resolve it here tonight. So... <laughs> How about instead we just drink more beer? But do we have to explain what that is that we're not resolving? You can't just say on a podcast, it's the problem with the ship of Theseus and not explain that. All right, here we go. The ship of Theseus is a thought experiment about whether an object that has had all of its original components replaced remains the same object. According to legend, Theseus, the mythical Greek founder king of Athens, had rescued the children of Athens from King Minos after slaying the Minotaur and then escaped on a ship to Delos. Every year, the Athenians commemorated this legend by taking the ship on a pilgrimage to Delos to honor Apollo. The question was raised by ancient philosophers. After several centuries, centuries of maintenance if every part of the ship of Theseus had been replaced one at a time was it still the same ship we don't have to resolve tonight what I want to know Abigail did you know about the ship of Theseus before we started talking or did you look that up just to shut me up so I knew about the ship of Theseus I just couldn't remember that it was the Theseus I thought it was the Argo like Jason and the Argonauts so I looked up like philosophical question Argo and it came up with ship of Theseus so yes I knew of it just not the name fair enough but yes it was also to shut you up <laughs> You know, I think I think replacing wood planks is different than replacing, say, core members of a musical group. But like, I'm sure that the having Captain Eon, I would say it's still the same boat. I'm sure. I'm certain. I don't have any of the same red blood cells I was born with. Am I still me? Every hundred days, they're gone. All your cells are they're all slow growing and replaced over time. So am I still me? Um, no. Well, there we go. There's our answer. There we, there we go. <laughs> if we're going down the philosophical road, Abigail, you are you right now. You are not you who was you yesterday, but you are you right now. So then the answer is- So then the answer is no, it's not Pink Floyd. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was going to say it is Pink Floyd based on the same argument, because if Pink Floyd is who they are today and not who they were yesterday or in 1967. So so with all that in mind- We'll never know. I vote it's Pink Floyd. That's my vote still. Jaffo, what do you vote? I really can go either way, because like I said, uh, Division Bell and- (laughs) (laughs) Just commit. I gotta stir, I gotta After stir all that, he goes, eh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> After all that, he won't take a stand one way or the other. I thought you were going to vote against it and make it right. be the I, deciding vote. It's not vote. Pink Floyd. Uh, just like the Beatles wouldn't be the Beatles if Paul and Ringo got together today. See, and I made the I made the Beatles argument, and now I'm voting it is Pink Floyd. I think it is Pink Floyd. All right. We've officially determined that it is Pink Floyd. 
Our three-judge panel has ruled. By a vote of the N of three of us randos. Hey, it's just, like a, it's just like a circuit court making crazy decisions, right? Okay, well, we don't talk... Uh, we talk about beer and music and nothing else on this podcast. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to go get another beer then so we can talk about more music. We haven't rated this beer yet. Oh, yeah, you're right. We're way off on that. <laughs> How come Jaffo knows our format better than you do? It'll all sound better when I, <laughs> it'll all sound better when I edit it. All right, I'll go first on this one. I think it's a solid Pilsner. I like it a lot. 375 for me. I'm going to go 35. It's a like you said, very solid, easy to drink, clean Pilsner, very tasty. Love the little hoppiness in there. Gives it a little dimension. It's a 35. Let me ask you guys a question because I know the rating scale. Do you rate compared to all other beers or just the beers in its category? I try to do it within a category. Because if I'm going within the category, I'm going for it. Oh, because wow, okay. it's easily drinkable. I can sit out on my front porch on a hot day and drink this. I am happy and I will drink it again and again and again and not get tired of it. You know, if I'm rating it outside of that, yeah, I don't normally drink Pilsner, so it'd be a lower rate. Yeah, that's the trick I always have, Jaffa, with beer categories that I don't gravitate to. Right. If I walk in and I got a beer list in front of me, I'm probably not going to get the brown ale. I'm probably not going to get the Pilsner. And so when I have a good one, I do it within the category. But also in the same sense of like, I don't know that I would ever have a Pilsner that was a, say, a five for me because I don't think Pilsners are complicated enough for me to give it a five rating. I agree. So I do it within the category and I try to be fair to good ones within the category. Yeah, that's what I do too. But if I genuinely didn't like something, I'm not going to rate it within the category. You know what I mean? If I genuinely didn't like something, it's going to get a low rating whether or not it's good for the category. But to speak to what you just said, you know, you go in and you tend to drink the beers that you like. Going back to Brew Lab, that's what I love about Brew Lab is I go in there, they force me to step outside of my comfort zone. Sure. Well, that's why I drink a lot of flights. Yeah. But so many brewers I go into, they do good at what they do, but they don't expand. They find their niche and that's what they do. Where these guys are brewing something different all the time. And, and like I said, thing you love the most may never show up again. So The next beer we'll be drinking is called Sweet Zombie Jesus. And this is a dry hopped saison with orange blossom honey. I am very excited to try this one. Oh my God. It's a crowler. Look at that monster. All, all right. right. Shall we have a sip of Sweet Zombie Jesus? We should. It's dry hopped. <laughs> wow. If you like a dry beer with a subtle little funk to it this is really really good that's really spectacular abigail actually when i went in and i was talking to peter that night about beers Mm -hmm. i said one should have some funk to it and thinking of you because i know you like a little funk in your beer well thank you that was very considerate of you this is really good yeah this is this is really good wow interesting that there is no sweetness to it whatsoever no well now remember we've had this for six months you're saying it might have over fermented a little bit uh, maybe filled on april 2nd you know if there was some sugar in there it could have been fermented off yeah although it's been refrigerated so that would have delayed it i think this is exactly what we would have had based on that description that she just read this is exactly what i would have expected well but orange blossom honey i would think there would be some detectable sweetness but i don't detect any at all it's interesting. I enjoy it, but I don't get really any of the honey flavor well, in there. I don't get too much. How about you, Jaffa? Maybe just a little bit right at the end, but it's not overly sweet. All right. 
So you brought up The Wall and the other songs that are kind of leftover Pink Floyd songs were things that didn't make the album. They appeared in the film and they didn't make the album. And you sent this fabulous article about that. And I knew nothing about that, Jaffa, to be honest with you. I didn't know that was the Mm -hmm. case, that there were these leftover tracks. So there's two tracks we're going to talk about. But in preparation for this, I did go watch The Wall. Now, I hadn't seen it since the 80s. I didn't see it when it was out in theaters. I saw it years later on cable when it was making its cable run on, say, an HBO or something like that. So I saw it uncut, you know, the way it was supposed to be seen in the theater back then even. And I remember enjoying it, you know, because it's kind of an interesting, weird film. And I was into all that in the 80s anyway. So it fit my wheelhouse. But I hadn't seen it for so long. I went back and watched it again. Now, Abigail and I were going to try to watch it together. We just ran out of time. So I did watch it on my own. And it fascinated me that one of the songs we're going to talk about was the very first lick of music in the film, the very one of the first things that appears. And what was interesting, because we're going to talk about this one song that's really a reprise of one of the songs, the way the movie's structured, there are some times where there are pieces of the songs from the album that we all know where they are split anyway, because it's such a weird time frame that they work in within the film. What's going on in the present? What's going on in his mind? which is a separate category, and then the flashbacks, which is partly what's going on in his mind, but there's really three distinct kind of storytelling elements. So it didn't surprise me that one of the songs we're going to talk about was actually broken into two pieces in the film. It's a fabulous song, and it works as a song, and it also works the way they used it in the film, and that's when the tigers break free. The other one is interesting because I found a YouTube clip of this piece of music we're going to talk about as part of a bigger song where it's played as an entire song and you can't tell the scene. You listen to it, mm-hmm. it sounds like it all belongs and then the way it was in the film, they played one piece and they played the other piece later and that little 90 second piece they didn't include on the album for time reasons. Seems to me like anymore we would have just put those clips on it but I guess when they were putting the album together because remember we're talking about vinyl in the, this was 82, right Jaffa? Well, the movie was 82. The album was 79. Oh, right, right, right. So can I ask, because I didn't watch it, but I really want to, after hearing the two songs that we're going to talk about momentarily and watching the YouTube clip that you're referencing, Dad, it looks spooky and interesting. So was there a separate soundtrack released other than The Wall? No, The, the Wall is basically... well. No, you can get the soundtrack with these two songs on it. You can get the film soundtrack. The film soundtrack. It was, uh, as I understand it, two things happened. One, for the album, the songs were a little too close to home for Roger Waters. And they said, yeah, those don't belong there. But also, you were working on a more confined time frame when you were looking at a double album than you were when you were looking at a double cd so there wasn't that time to fit everything in and i'm as far as i know they had the film in mind when they were doing this album but they hadn't started it yet so they came back to revisit these two songs Hmm. to fit it in to tell that story when they did it on film rather than when they did it on the album so they were sort of writing the album and writing the plot of the movie in parallel i mean this is really a Roger Waters album. So it's a Roger Waters album played by Pink Floyd is, mm. is what this is. So the question is, is it a Pink Floyd album? <laughs> it is a Pink Floyd album because they played it, but David Gilmore only has two writing credits on the track, uh, Comfortably Numb and I think Hey You. 
But the other song you're talking about is one of the more recognizable songs from the, like the ones that he's involved in were kind of the things you hear on rock radio. Right. Like they were songs you would typically hear when you go through this album. It's a great album. But kind of like we talked about last time where you have to have a few things for radio airplay to promote the album. Comfortably Numb is, you know, one of the things that I think most of us would recognize from the album is getting radio airplay. Hmm. And that's the David Gilmore track. And it probably drew more attention to the album than some of the other material from the album. Right. Yeah, well, there, there were only three singles off of this album. And it was a double album. Best-selling double album of all time. Beat the White Al- Album, Barry. You're making me sad, man. <laughs> you say that like I'm missing out on royalties <laughs> from the White Album. <laughs> no, I, I love the White Album. But, you know, the White Album didn't tell a story. This is a whole story. And this is this is like when we talked about Wish You Were Here, what I was afraid of when, when you pulled that out. And I said, oh, we, you know, if, if that doesn't fit into the format, we can do something else. We have Where, no we, format. If you've not learned no. anything, it's we have no format. And the Wish You Were Here <laughs> episode, number five, right? You are never going to live that down. That's going to feed your ego for the rest of your life. I'm almost sorry I told him. In fact, I'm here. <laughs> so my question about, so when you get the soundtrack, you said, oh, there's a soundtrack version released now with this extra material on it. Do they just play it? in the order that's in the film. Yeah. So the album that exists in 79 and the movie, they don't line up perfectly as you're going through it. You know what I mean? They do. They play it as it is in the film when you look at the soundtrack. And I think even more than Wish You Were Here, which I was, you know, eventually we were able to pull areas out. And Abigail, Breaking Up, Shine On You Crazy, Diamond, everybody I've talked to has listened to that episode. Mm-hmm. Thought that was brilliant. You, That was a brilliant idea you had on, on Shine On You Crazy, Diamond, if I didn't tell you that before. Well, thank you. I'm Tony Gonzalez, who I mentioned on the podcast, and a few other of my friends who are very big Pink Floyd fans are like, yeah, I never thought about just breaking that song up and looking at the individual parts. But even more so in the wall, it's really hard to just pull out a song. You know, there, there are only a few songs you can do it with, which is why there were only three singles. You can do it with another brick in the wall part. It's actually another brick in the wall part two is mm-hmm. what we're used to hearing. But there are actually three parts to that song, which are broken up within the soundtrack and the movie. And they are radically different, the three of them. There's some element to it that are similar, but quite honestly, they're three completely distinct songs. They are. And then you have Comfortably Numb, which really is a transition point in the movie when you look at what's going on. He's going into the psychosis, into being all the way. He's gone all the way into his mental illness at that point. But other than that, it's hard to pull these songs out. Listening to these two tracks and trying to say, okay, if I just heard that on the radio, would I like it? I don't know that I would. Hmm. I would say for when the Tigers break free, I could listen to that. The other one, you know, it's like 90 seconds. That was really the back 90 seconds of a four and a half minute song in my mind. Right. And so when I listen to the the, the clip we're going to play is the, from a Roger Waters live set where it's just that 90 seconds separated. And it plays okay, but it's 90 seconds. To your point, Jaffa, about... On vinyl, you had such a limitation in time. Think about what it meant that you had to find 90 seconds to cut out yeah. in order to make that fit. I mean, that's what we're talking about. And then they cut the whole track out that was deemed too personal, which is when the Tigers break free. And then I think they trimmed something that was an eight-minute song down. They cut some individual pieces out to make it a shorter song in order to get it all into two pieces of vinyl. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about seconds of material to cut out in order to get that to fit. 
So anyway, Abigail, yeah, I think you should watch the film at some point. The other weird thing, so when he has the psychotic snap that you were referencing earlier, Jaffo, it's weird. You get about an hour into the movie when he starts to have that snap. How much of it's prescient to today with the fascist imagery? You know, that whole, the thing where they got the two hammers on the emblem and it's it's very Hitler-esque, right? Well, going back to the Hey, Hey, Rise Up, Pink Floyd has, especially later, uh, early albums at least, they weren't overly political. They had some political tracks, but they were really about life. Dark Side of the Moon was was just birth to death. And Wish You Were Here, as we talked about, was a career in the music business and right. how it can just drive you down that road. And most of their albums were really like that. But they really had a lot of songs that kind of had that anthem sound to it, the whole march towards something sound. And they, they could really pull that off. And they did that in The Wall better than any of the other albums but they were really able to do that which i think is one reason why hey hey rise up works so well for them also it was interesting to me because i thought when i listened to the album without the visuals when i listened to the wall i definitely get kind of an anti-establishment vibe from it i don't get an anti-fascist vibe from it hmm. right and it's in particular because there a lot of the lyrics about the one that always stands out to me we don't need no education we don't need no thought control to me that always was a sort of an anti-establishment thing. But when you watch the film, the visuals are way more fascistic. I mean, it's it's clearly a fictionalized version of Hitler. And what's so weird about that character is that in his psychotic break, he becomes that. The fact that his psychotic break was to go to the very thing that killed his father is just an interesting, weird twist to me. It's a visually stunning film. Oh, yeah. And so to take the album in isolation is a hard thing to do. You know, for years and years and years, you play the album. And then when you remember how much more the visuals add to that, you get a completely different story when you hear that music with the visuals attached to it. Abigail, if you watch, when when you watch this movie, I shouldn't say if you watch this movie, when you watch this movie, because mm -hmm. you will watch this movie. If I have to fly to Florida and make you watch this movie. You will watch this movie. You know, it's hard to find. That's the other thing, Jaffa. It's hard to find. Like, it wasn't like, oh, go on Netflix. I own it. I'm sure you do. All you need is a DVD player. <laughs> <laughs> He's got it on 16 millimeter. You just need a projector. I do love how invested you are in my musical education, Jaffa. Thank you. I really am. <laughs> Working on a high school campus are two things I noticed. They are the things that I find are wrong with the world. One, not enough teenagers know really good music out of the 60s, 70s, and you know, somewhat 80s. And the other is not enough teenagers have seen The Princess Bride. <laughs> Two things that are wrong with the world. It's an interesting theory. I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I, I, I can confirm that. So when I was trying to find the film, I ended up watching it on Vimeo, for God's sake. I could not find it on a standard... Not even to pay for it, Jaffo. I couldn't. It was on HBO not too long ago. I did a broad-based search of where can you watch this, and I got referred to Hulu, but it's not available on Hulu. Hmm. Amazon Prime, not available. I ended up finally watching it on Vimeo. I'm sure it's a bootleg copy on Vimeo, but I was able to watch it on Vimeo, and it was okay. I mean, the quality was fine. I mean, it, it wasn't like watching it in high def, but it worked out okay. But yeah, really hard to find, which is weird for such a, I don't know, sort of a touchstone of a film from the early 80s that it's not available. When Abigail watches that movie, she's going to have a completely different 
frame of reference than we have when we watch the movie in the early 80s or whenever you watch the movie. Because you're right, you look at that movie and it really does look like a totalitarian takeover. But that's not what the movie's about. And that's not what the album's about. Roger Waters' father died in Anzio in World War II. And Roger Waters, probably rightfully so, thought it was a waste, but it definitely affected his life. And it was about an overpowering mother and not being able to form those attachments throughout his life and going into some really dark places that that Roger Waters went to. And I saw Roger Waters perform this. Me and Tony Gonzalez went and the best show I have ever seen. If he ever comes back and does The Wall, go see it. Don't care what tickets cost. Go see it. Hmm. Absolutely the best show I've ever seen. And Roger Waters knows how to do a whole theatrical thing. So he's telling the whole story. So it's partially the whole building the wall around him throughout his life till he gets to that point where he's at the top of his game and he just becomes that dictator. And he said during the show, he, he said, yeah, you know, I, I had a lot of issues back in the 70s and 80s. and and I had to go get a lot of therapy for it. But you guys got some amazing music out of it. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. The last third of the movie, when he has that psychotic break, he becomes the dictator. And I'd forgotten about that. What a weird turn of events that is. That when he finally has his moment where he's been sort of rescued from, you know, the hotel room and the demons and everything, that's when the dark side really emerges. But it's also, and we talked about this when we, we talked about uh, Shine On You Crazy Diamond Part 6 or Death. This whole album is about getting to the peak of your career in the music industry and then having to go play these stadium shows. So all of a sudden, you are figuratively building this wall between you and the audience. Hmm. I don't think any musician, ask your musician friends when they come on the show, do you want to build a wall between you and the audience? And all of them will say no. They, they want to be part of the audience. Well, and also, you know, you, you, the scenes of him as a dictator where he's commanding an audience and the audience is responding to what he's saying in a repetitive, you know, he uses the crossed arms thing, the two hammer symbol that's on the logo and the whole audience does that. I mean, I'm watching politicians do that now. Well, certain politicians. With signals on stage and having a whole group of people doing it in group think. But this is Pops on Hops where we only talk about beer. Good news is the music Very tonight good, dictates you, you, the You're learning the party line. <laughs> They're ganging up on me. Jeez. They're ganging up on me. Well, it's interesting you said, so there were two, the, the two tracks we're going to talk about. One is you had mentioned that his father died in that battle at the bridge in Italy during World War II. And that was the song where the Tigers break free that really recounted that. And it's in two parts in the movie. It's real early. It's like the very first thing you hear part of it. Right. And then later on when he discovers the wartime outfit in the film and he's dressing like his dad and looking in the mirror and seeing his own father. I think that song's very, very powerful. We're going to play the whole song, Jaffo. I'm going to trim it obviously later, but we'll go ahead and play the whole clip. Kind old King George sent mother a note when he heard that father was gone. It was, I recall, in the form of a scroll with gold leaf and all. And I found it one day in a drawer of old photographs hidden away. But my eyes still grow damp to 
title is called what it is because they're referring to panzer tanks that were part of the invasion that uh, when they destroyed that bridge and this is all depicted in really graphic detail in the film which is why the song oh. is so important to the movie and interesting that it was cut from the original version of the album but i guess because it was such a personal story that he felt like it was even too personal for the fictional character in the film but I think it's a great song. Yeah, Jaffo, you were talking about how some of their songs sound like marches. And I think this is a great example of that. It really sounds like a funeral procession. And the way it ends so suddenly, it's like a shot to the heart. You know, he ends on that line. That's how the royal command took my daddy away from me. And then it just ends. And it ends on his voice. It's very haunting. Yeah, I think this is a great song. And knowing the backstory and the meaning of the tigers, right, breaking free, and imagining the character finding these artifacts of his dad and describing how moved he was to see the note from the king. The lyrics themselves aren't overly emotional, but I think they are emotional in their subtlety, especially because there is some cultural stigma around men showing their emotions, the fact that the lyrics are sparsely written, I think brings out the emotion even more. He is writing about how he's feeling without being overly effusive, I guess is the word I would use. What makes it emotional for him are the details. Yes, the details. I love the song. I think it's probably more emotional to him than it is to us. But what I'm saying is it's kind of a show not tell situation because he's describing the details. And so we know from the details that he must be emotional over this, but we, you know, it's not really in his voice and it's just there, you know, it's subtle. Abigail, did you get to listen to the wall before this or are you just coming in with just these songs off the wall. My brother, I don't even remember where we were driving. He played it for me in the car. So, uh, you know, this was years ago and it was before any of this Pops on Hop stuff. And so was I as good at breaking down albums on the fly? Absolutely not. But I have heard it. I would say I haven't listened to it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, I just asked because you were talking about men prior to you know, prior to five years ago, really, <laughs> where it was very much prior a, to yesterday. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, John Wayne, John Mitchum. You know, don't show your emotions. Just hold it all inside. Move forward and don't cry. And you're really right in the song. All the emotion, which is huge, becomes evident in the rest of this album and definitely in the movie. If you go back and listen to Roger Waters in interviews, he never knew his father and it was just life changing for him. But he had, you know, what he would consider an overbearing mother who didn't let him follow his dreams, fall in love with who he wants. If we go back to Wish You Were Here and the songs where he's talking about hiding in his bedroom playing the guitar and doing that yes and that was very much his emotions coming out where his mother wouldn't let him do it they wouldn't let him do it at school they wouldn't let him do it at church they wouldn't let him do it wherever he was in life 
he couldn't express those emotions about his father, about his family, about his wants and needs and who he wanted to be with. You know, he had to be strong for everybody because his father was this hero who had died at Anzio. Mm. And when you watch the movie and when you listen to the whole album, you'll see that emotion grows and it, it festers in him till he gets to the point where he has his break with reality, where he becomes a dictator to what really is those following his music, but it's a dictator to those in his life. And he shuns any emotion at that point. He becomes the person that he wouldn't have been if they'd allowed him to be himself, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they guided him to become a dictator. A couple of a couple of things out of the movie, just real quick. There's that, to me, one of the most poignant scenes in the movie. His mom drops him off the playground and he wants to play. He's playing with the other kids and he gets another father to put him on a merry-go-round. And when he comes off the merry-go-round, he goes up to the guy to hold his hand, looking for a father figure. And the guy like smacks him down. I'm like, what are you doing? Where's your mother? Get away. There was no sense of what this kid was going through or his emotional needs. It was so amazingly poignant and such a simple scene. And then the scene when he's in school and he's writing poetry, but that's not acceptable in school. That's where you get into that militaristic education thing. When you hear the version of the wall that Jaffa references a single, they talk about we don't need no education. The education is this regimented, rigid, almost authoritarian approach mm. to education. And so here's this kid who's over here doing art, writing poetry, which ultimately are going to be song lyrics. And the guy's smacking him with a ruler and calling him to the principal's office for being different. And so what they ended up creating by the end of the movie, which is so fascinating, is just another fascist because that's what we create when we take away, oh, the stuff we're taking away in Florida. Oh, this is Pops on Hops. This is Pops on Hops, where Where no no one is safe. And in a lot of ways, education is propaganda. But that's not what we want it to be. That was my point. No, no, no. That's what I'm saying. That that was the point of the film, I think. And Jaffo can answer more of this than I can. He's in education, but it's a very regimented approach, right? When you're a free thinker in education the way we currently deem it in the United States, that's outside the bounds of what we should be doing for education. My argument as a pediatrician would be we're totally missing the boat on that. So banning books to make it regimented is not the approach we should be having. It's like everybody should read everything. That's what education's about, right? I think it depends on where you're at. You know, you guys are in the bubble of Florida, which is, you know, the phallic symbol of the United States. Well, it does point downward. So let's call it a flaccid state. (laughs) Oh, dad. (laughs) Ew. It shouldn't be FL. It should be ED. (laughs) Your, Your dad's a doctor. These are medical terms. So education, I would say education can just be propaganda. It really can. Yes. You look at in Florida and in Texas, how they want to teach history, right? They, they want to, irony of all ironic terms, they want to whitewash American history and not talk about where slavery has gotten us and where Jim Crow has gotten us. You know, my background is I teach moderate severe special education, which has come a long way in 30 years. My, my students would have been warehoused 30 years ago, but my background is in history. I have a master's degree in history. Mm-hmm. There's a great meme that goes around quite often about if all the history you are reading makes you feel good and happy, you're not really reading history, you're reading propaganda. So in states like California, where, yeah, we embrace teaching diversity and we embrace teaching what actually happened pre-Civil War and all of those things. It is less so propaganda. Now you can say the way we structure an educational day 
goes back to working in the factory and the eight hour day and doing those kinds of things. And that's somewhat true, but that's changing in more progressive areas too. So it all depends on where you're at. Well, especially when it's state sanctioned. Exactly. That's the issue is you're going to dictate what a curriculum is based on right. state needs. Well, then now you are talking about propaganda. But the scarier thing is textbooks are written by big companies. And they look at huge areas like Florida and Texas are doing. And then that gets transferred to Oklahoma and to Georgia because these are the smaller states that don't have that power to negotiate, bargain. Right. So where California is, you know, California has curriculum and that's going out to Arizona and that's going to New Mexico and other areas. So you end up with those changes. And and, and that's a big reason why you see the regional differences, these regional bubbles of political differences. So. And Abigail? Yes. This is Pops and Hops, where we only talk about music and beer. Yeah, I was just about to say, I was just about to remind everyone well, what podcast we're on right listen, now. Listen, gang, we don't need no education. You started it, Abigail. You're the one who brought up education. And she did start. <laughs> she did start that. I think that is actually true. That. Here's how bad that is. She started a conversation and then she walked away. We've been recording for longer than I expected. I didn't bring my computer <laughs> charger over at first. Abigail, have you not met me and your dad? Well, being that we don't need no education, how about we rate Sweet Zombie Jesus so we can open the last beer and talk about the last track. Does that sound like a game plan? I really, really like this beer. It has only gotten funkier as it has warmed up. I agree with you. Up front, it was very subtle, and now it is very funky. I think it's less, I mean, it's dry, but I think the dry and the hop have kind of mellowed as it's warmed up, and it, the funky flavors have come through. I would agree with that. I'm still not getting any honey. I'm not sure I miss the honey, so I'm not going to count that against it, but... If you put that there's honey in it, I normally would expect to taste a little honey. I get like a really, really subtle honey aftertaste. Like after I've set the beer down and waited a minute. <laughs> after I take a sip and I mow the lawn and then I get the there mail. <laughs> um, so I'm going to give this a 3.75. I'm going to give this one a four. I didn't think I was going to like this actually, because I'm usually not a big fan of a lot of funk. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as funky in music as... or in beer, Jaffo. Oh, love funk and music. That's good to know. Go back and listen to some Prince in the seventies and that funky sound. <laughs> when I listened to Prince, what was he fifteen in the seventies? Probably, but he was still a genius. Um, yeah, no, I'm going with three point seven five. I would drink this again. I don't know that I would order, but if somebody gives it to me, I'm I'm happy with it. It's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. That's great. All right. I just want to point out, you know, not only are you guys sharing a beer and I'm not, but I also have to keep up with you in time. So I'm drinking twice as much in the same amount of time. Yeah, I know. I know. But your explanations are getting better. Wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> Hold on now. So I popped my green cap. It didn't really... Um, no? All right, let's find out. And my other one I didn't put in the fridge. How about yours? Oh, this one didn't either. Was that supposed uh -oh. to be the Belgian? This is the Belgian. It's very dark. This is Belgian. Is there no carbonation to this? Oh, that's awful. Throw that out, and we will go to the next one. <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. That would have been great had it gotten carbonated. I can taste the flavors. Oh, that's a bummer. All right, so what was the other one you wanted Take to Take a sip of your flat beer. Just taste the flavors. They're good there. It would have been great. That would have been 
fabulous. Okay, wait, give me a sip. We're going to rate your flat beer. Yeah, rate my flat beer. Totally. All right, so. <laughs> rate my flat beer? <laughs> so do you want me to get the red cap then? Is that the other one you want to try? Yeah, let's try the red cap. Oh, Jaffo, that's that's actually really good. It would be, yeah, if there was some foam in that. I don't mind it flat. I don't. She's going to finish it flat. Here, you, well, you I'm know not what? not going to finish it. No, I. Put it in the fridge. It can't go flat. Abigail, I got a case and a half of that here, so. <laughs> Okay. Uh <laughs> That's just sad, waiting six months for a beer and then it's not carbonated. The one we're about to open, the red cap, is also a six-month process. All right, here we go. Hope it's Which good. is very possible this one won't work out. Like I said, they might all be bad. Oh, I Add a little bit more to it. Tell us about the red cap. This is a Russian imperial stout. You know what? What we're going to do, we're, it's no longer a Russian imperial stout. It's now a Ukrainian imperial stout. Okay. We did Hey Hey Rise Up, right? Touche. So we're calling this a Ukrainian imperial stout in honor of Andrei Hlevnyuk. Yes. <laughs> I like how you have, just have that on the button. I got to swap out anosmia jingle with that. <laughs> Oh, speaking of that, Barry, Abigail, did you smell the Belgian quad? No, but I can. I'm liking the notes of caramel. and We've rated a lot of stuff on this podcast, but I don't think that we can officially rate the smell of a beer that's flat that we're not going to rate, especially when half of the team can't smell. Well, a third of the team. Oh, you're on the team oh, now, Jeff are you? on the team now. <laughs> I'm on the show, so I must be on the you know, I, you know, you called me up from AAA. You'll you might send me back at the end of the show because uh, you know. Let me, let me, let, let me look through my notes because I don't think I got the paperwork on the title transfer. I would love for you to be a more permanent co-host, but I don't think I have the time to do all these episodes with both you and my dad. You and me both, Abigail. So, are you smelling the bad beer? I mean the. Flat beer. I'm smelling the flat beer. All right, let's get that off the books. It is caramelly and barrel aged y. <laughs> yeah, I, as the arbiter of descriptions. Okay, all right, hold on. I will allow you to call yourself the arbiter of all things mouthfeel. That's fine. But these are smell descriptors. How do you have any authority over that? <laughs> Enough, did you finish up your smelling of the bad beer? I mean, the flat beer? Yeah. Okay. It's good. So we're now having our Imperial Ukrainian Stout made with uh, Omega yeast and a combination of Mugget yeah. and Glacier hops. Is I've that what I have in my I've never even heard notes? of Mugget hops. Yeah. Where did you obtain Mugget or Nugget? Did I read it wrong? Oh, sorry. Nugget. Yes. Nugget hops. Nugget. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> It's a handwriting. It's okay. a handwriting so, issue. So here, here's, where, here, here's where we are on the notes thing. This is better than no notes, but not as good as typed notes. So make a note. So maybe next time <laughs> we keep leveling up. <laughs> maybe if we get type notes, you'll be quote unquote part of the team. <laughs> oh, ouch. Oh, snap, dad. On the other side of this. This beer is fabulous. Oh, I haven't even tasted the beer yet. My initial notes are a little dry, a little coffee-ish. I don't get a lot of sweetness at all, and I like it a lot. Yeah, I like a dry stout better than a sweet stout, and this is certainly a dry stout. All right, we're on our third beer. We should get this third leftover song in. <laughs> so the last track we have was one of these two that got cut from the album version from 1979 of The Wall. 
apparently was reconstructed later in a soundtrack version. We didn't know that. Joppo held that. Despite the fact that he's part of the team, he didn't tell us that earlier. But we'll just we'll ignore that for now. Barry, there is no I in T-E-A-M, but there is me. I know. I understand. <laughs> I totally, totally get it. Remember, I worked with you for a long time. Uh, so... <laughs> So the other track that was in the wall, now I'm all confused. It's in the movie. It was cut from the soundtrack. It's actually, they listed in this article that I read as a reprise from a song where I actually think when I listened to the whole thing on YouTube that it was the other way around. So the song that's on the album from 1979 is called Empty Spaces. There was a 90 second what they called reprise called What Shall We Do Now? We're going to listen to the live version by Roger Waters. When you listen to this track that reconstructs the whole thing on YouTube, it seems to be the other way around to me. I wouldn't call it a reprise. It's the same song. It's the same song. They just cut it. It's like it's like a medley. It's like uh, Polythene Pam and Me and Mr. Mustard. I think it plays even better than that, though. It plays like a unified song to me when you listen to the whole thing on YouTube. And we're not going to listen to it. Oh, Barry, did you just say something played better than a Beatles song? Oh, snap. I did. You got him there, Jaffo. Wow. Cheers. Welcome to the team. (laughs) (laughs) Let's gang up on him. And you know, it's a Pink Floyd song, so I'm good with that. Well, I feel like the medley that she's talking about on Abbey Road is three distinct songs that got linked together that play very nicely together in the same space. But you know it's three different songs. So Abigail's going to share with us the 90 second or a minute 40 second of the song What Shall We Do, which is from a Roger Waters live album. Do we know what live album it's from? Roger Waters' The Wall. It's 90 seconds long. It's the shortest thing we've done all night. Was that late in the movie, Jaffo? I was trying to reconstruct. I had a hard time picking that out in the film. I'm trying to remember exactly where it fell, but I think it fell. If you remember, he reaches his peak, right? He does. It's all the axes and all that. And then they go out, and anybody who doesn't fit in, they're they're resting, they're throwing up, 
and it comes in right in that scene where they're pulling the the queers and the Jews. Yeah, the are there are there the any audience. queers in the audience tonight? Yes, get them up against yes. the wall. So it's it's toward the end of the film. It's it's so good. There's one in the spotlight. I shouldn't sing. I realize that. <laughs> That's right. Abigail makes me do it at the end of every episode. <laughs> so tonight, so tonight, I'm deferring to the newest member of the team. <laughs> <laughs> I know they were parsing to try to fit this on an album, and I understand what they meant when they said it's part of this greater song, and it's kind of a reprise of something else, but it's a pretty powerful song. It's a 90-second song, and there's a lot going on in that 90 seconds. And then again, when you watch it in the context of the film, it's in a pretty powerful sequence. So it seems like something that I would say probably should have been included. And I'm sure if they had this sonic capability of putting everything on the album, they would have chosen to do that. Yeah, but that again, when you talk about, you know, the pots on hops, how you go about things to pull this song out of the movie or out of the soundtrack and say, where do I rate this? It's like, yeah, I don't know because I have no context for the song, right? right. So if I have no context for the song. It makes no sense. It's like if you go back to when we did Wish You Were Here, and I only go back to Wish You Were Here because that's the one we did together, but we got all the way to the end of Shine On You Crazy Diamond, parts one through 10. At the end of 10, it's just that musical note the that funeral is funeral dirge. Yeah. Yeah. And all of us said, oh, if we pulled this out, we would hate it. But if you had this album without that at the end, the album would not be the same. Yeah. And Pink Floyd, throughout their albums, you have to take the whole thing together. And that's really, I think, why when you look at The Wall as compared to The White Album or Tommy or Killer Queen or any of those double albums that, that are brilliant albums, and anybody out there who hasn't listened to them needs to go back and listen to those albums. But the reason why The Wall does so much better is because it is a whole story. I wrote my MED on storytelling in the classroom and how powerful stories are for people. You go back to the cave paintings in France that are, what, 40,000 years ago, and they're telling people, this is how you get to food. This is how you get to water. And that has continued on throughout. And we talked about education earlier tonight. I don't know that I'll make it into the... Uh, now it has to. You brought it up again. Damn it, you screwed up my edit. <laughs> <laughs> but storytelling in education is so important. It's, it's where did we come from to get to where we are to get to where we're going. And as a historian, you know, I, everybody I talk to is like, what are you doing? I'm studying history. Oh, I hated history in high school. And then I talk to them. It's all because their teachers, it was this date, this happened, and this date. Yeah. And that's not history. Mm -hmm. History is about the ebb and flow, and this happened, so this happened, so this happened, so this happened. And you're looking at cause and effect all the way through, right? And that's what's happening in this album in a much more condensed format. You're looking at one man's life from being born to where he was at, and his career of okay, this is what I wanted to do. And now I'm building a wall between what I wanted and where I'm at. And so once you start to pick pieces out of that, they don't work. But what we've lifted here are things that didn't appear on that album as an excuse to have you drink beer with us. So as a unifying theory, I feel like 
your thesis is way off base because if not for these leftovers, you wouldn't be here right now. Well, so you should thank Roger Waters for choosing not to include the songs. I thank Roger Waters for all sorts of things. So <laughs> you should thank Roger Waters because you're trying to parlay this appearance into being what was it? I got it written down. <laughs> Member of the team. If you're listening, Roger Waters, you should come on this show, but only if I'm a member of the team. Write this down, Abigail. We should pitch it. Roger Waters, would you appear if Jeff Shetler, a.k.a. Jaffo, is not a member of the team? Question mark. Question mark. Write that down. I'm writing it down. Complete with the two questions. I see a pen. I see a pen in your hand. Well, I just wanted to reiterate what Jaffo said was that without context, this song means nothing. No, but it plays nicely. It's a nice 90 seconds of music. There's a lot in it for 90 seconds, right? It's not like when the tiger was, when the tigers came, when the tigers fell. There's a concise and complete story in when the tigers broke free. That's an entire song that got axed. And what they did with this was rather than cut a whole song, like it might have been smarter to just cut this and, and, Empty, empty spaces. spaces as a whole track and not dice up the other song that they trimmed for time, right? Leave the whole song in and just cut this combo song out. If I remember the song correctly, and I didn't go back and watch the movie, he had gone all the way to the end of his fascist thing, and this was the transition into the court scene. And then it all leads to the scene where the wall is broken and then young kids come out with toy Tonka trucks and pick up the pieces of rock to move them on, which is interesting that it's kids. Last thing I'll say about the film is Roger Waters has a screenwriting credit as a screenwriter. There's very little dialogue that's not music in the film. There's a handful of lines of actual dialogue. I mean, basically the music constructed into the film. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a, it's really well done. And uh, It's interesting, too. Bob Geldof played Pink Floyd. And I think Roger Waters and Bob Geldof lived very parallel lives. You know, uh, Roger Waters went into the progressive rock stage and bob gildoff a little more the punk stage but they were very similar in their their upbringing and what happened to them and just to put one more pin in that abigail bob gildoff is who produced the live aid concert oh yes. wow yeah he was part of the live aid movement in 85 so this movie came out in 82 and in 85 he was doing live aid and had a lot to do he produced do they know it's christmas time right he yes. was the producer of that track uh which was the predates we are the world which is which the- was band-aid it started with band-aid live aid was the american version of that no, well, live- no it wasn't live aid at first because they did the song that the we are the world we are the which world had, i think michael jackson and, and quincy jones had something to do with yeah it. And, then, and then they did live aid which which was it's 24 hours of music yeah all right, sir, I'm going to rate your delicious imperial stout. So as Abigail knows, I'm more of a fan of sweet stouts than I'm dry stouts. But what I find interesting about this is it kind of skirts that. It's dry, but there's a, I don't want to call it sweet. That's not the quality I'm looking for, but it's not just a flat out dry stout. This doesn't drink like a Guinness. It's This drink's better than a Guinness would. Oh, wow. It is dry, but it doesn't dry your mouth out. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. But it is an imperial stout. I like imperial stouts too, as a rule. So I'd be better served with tenths here. I'd probably give this a 375. I think I'd probably give it a 3.8 if I had tenths, but it's between a 3.75 and a 4. I'm also going to give it a 3.75. I really, really like the roastiness of it. I prefer a dry stout. I think this could use maybe just a smidge more sweetness. 
because I think the coffee would be really, really tasty if it were like, I don't know, 10% sweeter. But I think it's a really, really nice stout. And it, despite it being imperial, it's not ripping my face off or it's not strong tasting at all. It's mellow, it's roasty, it's tasty. My only beef is I wish it were slightly sweeter. You know, 10% sweeter is the title of my upcoming album. <laughs> Is that the sequel to 10% Happier? Barry, if you want people like you, you got to be a lot more than 10% sweeter. <laughs> I, I'm not going to take this abuse from members of the team much longer. <laughs> what would you rate this beer, Jaffo? I have to rate this beer? Of course. You're a member of the team. It is one of the better beers I've brewed. How about that? That's a bold statement. No, it is. I'm, I'm glad we, we asked him to, <laughs> to do this. <laughs> I am glad we did this instead of the peanut butter stout. The peanut butter stout to me, the peanut butter is very strong in the peanut butter stout right now. So if you like peanut butter, it's probably pretty good. Once you open it, you let it sit. So Abigail, if you want to try it, I can send you another bottle. That's fine. The unfortunate thing are these are the last beers I'll probably brew for a while because we're in a drought here in California and brewing beer is water intensive. So. Okay, but you're stalling. So what would you rate this beer? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, I would drink this beer again. I'd go 3.75. I'd drink it again. And, well, you better uh, drink it again. You got a case of it at home. Yeah. And yeah. no water. <laughs> <laughs> and no water. <laughs> it's like the Middle Ages. Beer is the only clean water you have access to. Might be the only thing you're drinking for the next six months. <laughs> In fact, you're going to make me ship mine back. <laughs> I'm going to need that beer back. I have no water. But but I would say when you get into the peanut butter, there's a bitterness afterwards, and that may be the water. Huh. It may be just something that needs to work its way out through some time. When I was talking to David, when they went to the bigger tanks, they got a new filtration system. And so we were talking about filtration, and they can actually chemically figure out exactly what water they want to use oh wow huh. like russian river brewery does this now and a lot of breweries do that now you know because a lot of these rivers are running dry in ventura and santa barbara we're getting our water we're getting it from two places we're getting them either from the lakes each area has different lakes or we're getting them from you know the aquifer and if we're getting from the aquifer it's really hard water if you're getting from the lakes, it can vary what it is, but you never know what it is. And when I was describing what I was getting out of some of the beers I was brewing, which is this bitterness, which isn't the hops, it's something else. And it doesn't make it terrible, but it's not great. He was saying, yeah, that's probably water and I need to start testing my water and working that way. And, oh, and so, and what I, what I want to say about Pink Floyd, if we were really going to do a leftovers episode, it should have been the final cut because most of the songs on the final cut were left over from other albums. Huh. And I think it's one of the most underrated albums of Pink Floyd. So, Well, first of all, you can't send us that note as a member of the team in the middle of the broadcast. Your team status and your plus minus column, I, get, I had to put a minus. I had to put check mark in the minus <laughs> side. The other thing is we do a leftovers every year. So I'll make another mental note because some of these things that I have sitting here, it's a lot of beer. We may not get to it till next November, but this is it for the Jaffo Brewery because you have no water. I don't know what to say about that. Oh. Anyway, 
Thank you so much for jumping on here. Thank you for having me, as always. The beer from the brewer is great. Please send our thanks to Brew Lab again. And, yes, uh, please. For sending us that. I know some of these were carryovers from the last episode, and they were kind enough to actually send them to us to do it. So thank them again for us. But we appreciate you jumping on and always love talking to you. Always fun. And you guys are always welcome. I have a I have a house and a spare bedroom and couches and everything. We will make our way there. In the meantime, if you need more Pops on Hops content, you can find us on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at Pops on Hops Pod, or you can email us at Pops on Hops Pod at gmail.com. Wherever you're listening to this, there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you. Or you can visit Pops on Hops our super cool website, where we post photos, videos, and other bonus content related to each of our our bi-weekly episodes. That is also where you can submit an album to our virtual jukebox for a chance for your album and even your voice to appear on the pod. And on behalf of Hops and Pops and Jotho, we'll see you next time. We, we don't, don't need, need no flat Belgian, Belgian beers. Hey, <laughs> brewer, leave those beers alone. <laughs> Bye. producer story because i was flying back from miami actually i was stuck in miami i didn't tell you wait a minute and you didn't call dad oh jesus now we have that issue to do (laughs) (laughs) no there was i was supposed to fly through uh, uh but it was late